We are Filmmakers Cookbook, a podcast where we turn your favorite films into recipes, helping you expand your cinematic diets. My name is Michelangelo, and I am joined today by my co-host, me, Charles. Nice. How are you doing, Charles? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. That's great. We're both doing good, and we're going to have a good show today. So on today's show, we're going to be dishing out fear on a plate and serving nightmares for dessert. So grab your popcorn, your silver steaks, and a strong stomach because things are about to get gruesomely delicious. But before we get into the gore, let's get into some film reviews, concession impression style. So as always, we're going to start off with a little bit of a, a few film reviews. This is our concession impressions part of the show. So this is how it's going to work. We're going to talk about the film and we're going to give it a ranking out of four from the lowest to highest. Lowest is going to be raisinets because... Ew, raisinets are gross. And then we have hot dogs because they're just not that good. And then a good review would be popcorn. And then the best review would be peanut M&Ms. These are all concessions that you can find at the concession stand in a movie theater. Ranked from the worst concession to the highest concession. Just like how are we ranking these films? All right, let's just start from the bottom with bottoms. Bottoms. I guess there are some horror elements in it for sure. Like it's it's definitely not like a straightforward comedy or a straightforward drama. It's like gore comedy. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like a very interesting movie. So this film is by Emma Seligman. And in my opinion, what I'm going to say is it offers like a delightful and exhilarating cinematic escapade. Like it's a charming film. But it, like, rides the line between, like, a down-to-earth romance and, like, an outrageous roller coaster that's almost, like, horror-esque. But I think it was somewhat, like, it felt both relatable and also amusing, but also, like, just crazy and unbelievable at the same time. Yeah, it, it has this sort of surreal quality to it, right? So heightened and over-the-top as a farce that it, it bridges into that surreal world but it, it's fun you know it's it's not the most amazing movie i've ever seen um but it's it's pretty fun and there's not a whole lot of directors who are making this kind of work that is um intentionally in bad taste a little bit you know what i mean mm-hmm. in a in an almost uh john waters is a director who's made a lot of explicitly queer films that are also explicitly designed to be in as much bad taste as possible essentially social horrors ironically actually it's a really great thing to talk about with our chosen movie today Mm. um rocky horror picture show because john waters films have a very similar quality where there's like a lot of drag in them there's a lot of things that are typically considered impolite to talk about um in you know polite society but they're presented in a really kind of austere and, and loving way. The thing he's most famous for is probably the movie and the play, or the musical, Hairspray. Oh, okay. One of the main characters is always played by a man, uh, Tracy Turnblad's mother. This is a call out to John Waters' career working with uh, drag queens, specifically one of the most famous drag queens, Divine. So he has these this moniker of like the Prince of Filth or like the Pope of Trash, the Duke of Dirt, that kind of stuff. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I definitely see it with this film as well. And I would say it was a fun time and I really enjoyed it. And that's why my score for it would be a three out of four, which would be a popcorn. 
So I would say this would be a popcorn film for me. It was enjoyable, but it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't a peanut M&M. But I would say that it does expand your cinematic diet because it has some fun, interesting themes and some fun performances. And I feel like overall that it was an interesting film to check out. Yeah, I agree. I would give it a popcorn as well. And I think especially the people that shine the most in this movie are the two main characters. They're awesome. They're both great. Ao is also great from The Bear. She's in that and she's wonderful. Rachel Sennett, she was also in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, Rachel Sennett is like a common, is a person that commonly works with the director quite a lot. I think her very first film that kind of put her on the stream, uh, on the mainstream uh, or close to the mainstream was with Rachel Sennett called Shiva Baby. It's definitely worth a watch. It's got a lot of the similar flavors as Bottoms, um, only a little more down to earth. And then also she was in probably Emma Seligman's best film to date, which is called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Um, we actually reviewed it last year. It's also very fun, very similar kind of youth culture oriented, but also all of these kind of like trash themes. Yeah, yeah. It, I will say that both those main actors feel like they have very similar performances to their other films. But I will say that it didn't distract me. And I feel like this was like peak of their style, I guess. Like it was the best performances I've seen out of both these characters out of all these movies that they've been in and TV shows. It's it's an interesting little like um like a, a small new little like wave of filmmaker people together. Like you think of somebody like Wes Anderson who constantly works with the same actors. Emma is going to be doing something similar. It looks like she's going to have similar collaborators. And speaking of, that's a great segue to our next film or films, I guess rather. Recently, Wes Anderson came out of nowhere and released four short films on Netflix. And I say out of nowhere, even though I knew about this because I, I remember looking it up at the beginning of the year, but I, I say out of nowhere because I feel like it hasn't been marketed at all. And I feel like no one knows about these unless, like I even heard like my brother said that he was on Netflix and he didn't even get like recommended for this. He just happened to like be looking up Wes Anderson and just stumbled upon it. So these four films are, I guess, short films that Wes Anderson created by the names of The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, The Swan, The Rat Catcher, and Poison. They're all inspired by Roald Dahl. And I will say this, I'm just gonna give my review first because I'm kind of excited about this one. I think that Wes Anderson gives expertly crafted little bite-sized wonders that have his signature visual flair, but also has the whimsical narratives from the short stories, the original short stories. And also there are like perfectly portioned like little appetizers that show how Wes Anderson can visually present a compelling story with without like overwhelming the senses. Because I feel like now I'm going to be doing a little bit of a cut here on Wes Anderson is that like, I feel like some of his more recent films kind of overwhelmed and kind of left a sour taste in my mouth afterwards because I just didn't really enjoy it. I think these shorter, smaller, more easier to digest little meals of films are so much more welcoming to me. And I feel like it's the best Wes Anderson film I've seen in recent years. Yeah, I mean, you know what? 
he he kind of already does this in his larger films i think that's probably why they feel so exhausting by the end of his like larger films is because really especially the last few of them they're multiple short films all just kind of stacked together for two hours which is a very exhausting way to watch any movie is to go through story after story after story until finally at the very end you've seen like you know maybe 10 separate short films yeah especially when they don't connect at all come on with sanderson what are you doing over here french dispatch there's like six stories in there and then none of them have anything to do with each other like these four short films I feel like have more connection than the stories in French Dispatch. Interesting. Because I, I I guess they sort of have a connection. Because they're, I mean, they're all rolled all... I, I sort of feel like they are similarly connected. Because in the French Dispatch, the connection is just that they're all articles inside of a publication called the French Dispatch. And then right? same for the last one. Um, what was the last one called? Asteroid City. Asteroid City. They're all you know, separate stories within this town, which is actually set in a play, a a setting for a play. So, like, Mm. they all have this, like, loose connection. But it's very clear, and I agree with you, that Anderson doesn't care that much about the connecting tissue. He really loves these micro-stories in these short films. And that's where he puts so much of his visual flair and his emphasis and his talents at telling these like micro stories in the most visually spectacular and wonderful, delightful ways that he does. And what this kind of showed me, which was so weird. I don't know why Netflix didn't do it this way. They like, they put it in, instead of what I want them to do. They, they put him, they put each one of these movies as like a separate movie somewhere on Netflix's page instead of what I think they should have done is make a Twilight Zone style series where it's like the Wes Anderson series where it's an anthology series and Wes Anderson just gets to make you know a 20 minute 30 minute whatever he wants short film for each episode like how awesome would that be 24 little short stories that Wes Anderson could dive into he could have each one be, you know, this cool little narrative. And he doesn't have to worry about the connective tissue. They're all just, the connective tissue is just him. Yeah, I will say that after watching these, they definitely left me hungering for more short films and especially more Wes Anderson short films. Um, And because of that, I will say that they definitely broaden or they definitely... Uh, expand your cinematic diet and i would also give them a four out of four so a peanut m&m score for these short films and i I would give it to the overall all of them because i think all of them were equally great and fun and like great performances from all the actors and like it, it was just it was just fun and also amusing how like somewhat low budget these were where they're like just imagining things and like just like oh i'm holding up a rat and he's just holding up nothing it's just like i don't know it's just like so wes anderson but it's just so perfect you know it's so like approachable they're very much like plays almost and then they they very they they really delicately dance between a play and a short film i want more 
short films in the world. Like I like. Do you remember when Love, Death, and Robots was a thing? David Fincher, I think, produced that. Actually, Guillermo del Toro did this recently. He had Cabinet of Curiosities or something like that. And he introduced a whole bunch of new directors and gave them a chance to make a whole episode of TV that was, you know, completely original to them, uh, but also still under Guillermo del Toro's horror thing. And it would just be so cool. Yeah. But what would you what would you rank it? You didn't give a ranking for us yet. I think I would rank it. I I I think they were, they weren't quite peanut M Nims for me. They were like, popcorn. But maybe like, have you have you had that like Oreo popcorn, at the AMC now. But it's it's really good. It's they're like really good popcorn, and with like a little bit of extra something to them. But they 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 don't all fully work for me. If I'm being honest, I think. Some of them were better than others. Um, so if we're rating all of them, I would give them a Oreo popcorn. Um, but if we're rating, I, like, I don't know. Which one was your favorite? Let's go that way. I don't know. That's a hard one. I think they were all equally great to me. Maybe Poison was maybe one of my favorites, though. Yeah. That was like a, such a, a fun one. Because I, 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 I like it as a story. The story itself, even like no nothing happens. Interesting. But like, I think... Or like, you know, it's such a small contained story, but it's just a fun short yeah. story, I thought. I think my favorite was The Swan, because it's the most mm-hmm. like Wes Anderson doing something totally unexpected. I think it's it's just down to that one moment where he walks down the train tracks and they turn into stairs. Like, I totally, I never would have thought that would happen. <laughs> and that one to me is definitely a peanut M&M for sure. Without further ado, I think we should put a bookmark in this and continue to the next one. You know, I think Wes Anderson is a great creator, but I think it's time to talk about The Creator. The Creator is a new sci-fi film starring John David Washington as a soldier in a war of humanity versus AI. And we learn that AI has created a weapon to try and end this war once and for all. And obviously all the humans, especially American humans, it seems, think that this means that AI has developed a like weapon of mass destruction that's going to destroy all of humankind. But then it turns out that this is really not what they did. They, they created a super advanced AI that has the power to, well, you'll have to watch the movie and find out. So I will say that I was going to this film and I was very interested in it because, you know, John David Washington is a great actor. It has a lot of kind of fun actors in it. There's Gemma Chan, there's Ken Watanabe, you know, there's, it's, the story is kind of fun. I feel like it's up my alley of like a sci-fi future kind of thing. And I have like mixed feelings about it. And it, throughout the viewing, I think like my concession impression radar Uh, I guess if you would call it kind of bordered between like hot dog and then popcorn and then peanut M&Ms and then back to hot dog. And it was kind of like a ride of like, I loved certain elements. Performances were really cool. Visually, it was like brimming with intense, not just like visually, like the cinematography, but the visual effects in it were just really cool. I loved the giant ship that they had and those lights and everything. It looked very visually pleasing. But besides that, the film's narrative is kind of like a daring fusion dish 
where it kind of teeters between the realm of like fun and interesting, but also it veers into the territory of like bland and predictable. It's definitely not like a culinary masterpiece, but with the like the nice visuals and the very impactful performances where like I even almost teared up a little bit at the end. And, you know, I would say, going to just jump right into the, my final score of it, I would give it a three out of four. I think it landed popcorn at the end. But I will say, though, because of the story feeling like I've seen this before, there's a lot of the elements of the story I feel like I've seen before, and I've seen maybe better versions of it, possibly. It was like a good buttery popcorn, but not none of that Oreo stuff that you're talking about, you know? Yeah, I, I feel the same. I think it is, it's like a solid film. It's the kind of film that you're not going to be disappointed if you see it in theaters, but it's probably not going to like weigh on you or you're not going to remember it like 10 years from now. But I will say one thing about it. If you are a filmmaker, I think it is worth studying for how well it used its budget and how well it created atmosphere. And it, it did so in a really innovative way when creating its CGI elements. Normally a movie with this much CGI, you would expect it to cost somewhere in the range of 100 million to 200 million. What is so innovative about this is normally with CGI films, what they do is they create all the CGI elements ahead of filming and they know what it's all going to look like before they ever even start recording anything. So constantly the directors are trying to battle all of these pre-made elements and shove them into places. Um, and that really has a weird impact on on film on the filmmaking process because it's really unnatural, right? Yeah. And that's why you get so many of these new films that are shot the way they are in a really expensive way on just full green screen backdrops. But what was so intelligent, interesting about the way that Gareth Edwards, the director, did this movie was he instead filmed it all first, filmed on location, had a vague idea of what he was going to be making in CGI and how all of these different robots were going to look. He only had a very vague idea, but he was able to film it on set on location in really naturalistic ways like he would any other film then later in post is when he added all of the cgi and this meant that there was no tinkering there was no last minute re-editing of different cgi elements so he didn't like do what they do at marvel constantly where they're doing reshoots to try and you know find new angles so that the cgi people can make something or or whatever it is that they're doing instead they the cgi people just had to shove it in wherever it felt natural and so you run it you make this movie and the cgi elements are all so much more naturalistic and so much more believable as a result and it's also so much cheaper so yeah if you're gonna make a big cgi epic film i think this is the way to do it from going forward instead of kind of the Marvel manufactured version. So what would you give it? I would give it a popcorn. <laughs> would you say that it expands your diet? I think it does, mostly because we haven't really had a like positive AI story. Yeah, I just feel like the only thing I didn't, reason why I said it didn't like expand your cinematic diet is because and I, I don't have a good like idea of what this film is but there were, I feel like there was a film or films that I've watched 
that are very similar to this film. Uh, just not necessarily AI based, but like the story of like a man on a mission and then halfway through the mission changes and then like each part of the mission, someone, they lose someone at the end, it's just them. And then it's down to like the wire and then they have to do this impossible task. I feel like I've seen that whole film multiple times and I just feel like when I, as I was watching, I was like, oh, I can kind of tell what's going to happen in every single scene because I've already seen it. So let's pivot uh, over to the last voyage of the Demeter. So, yeah, this is an adaptation of Dracula. <laughs> now, I will say my review for this, you know, I feel like I have, again, mixed feelings. I feel like this adaption of the classic kind of Dracula tale kind of sails into uncertain waters for me. It's It doesn't necessarily completely sink for me. I feel like it, it struggles to find its cinematic sea legs. Overall, it falls short of delivering an exciting, innovating like film that audiences want to crave you know like it's not necessarily like it wasn't it didn't really feel horror-y for me even though it has horror elements I would say it was a horror film I just feel like it's missing something like a dish that is trying to be fun and inventive or like a twisting of something like oh we haven't told this point of the Dracula tale but it's just missing a very key ingredient. And and I think what I, what I feel like what it is, is something that we talked about last episode on adaptions, is I think that this is like a two-hour film that is based on just like a page of, of the book. And like they have to make up so much stuff that it's also, it's trying to be so close to it, but at the same time they're making up so much stuff that I feel like it just misses the mark. Well, I agree with you one one where it it isn't like a true horror film. It's really more of like a monster thriller. But I I think that thing that is missing from it that you're identifying is this movie feels like what it is, which is a cynical attempt at launching a franchise. They're clearly doing at the very end. We see, you know, he he's in that bar or whatever, and Dracula's now loose in the UK or yeah, London, he's going to clearly be the detective looking for Dracula, solving the murders, that kind of thing. They're clearly trying to set up some sort of franchise. Like I like some of the characters that they created. Like I like this new black doctor character. I think he's kind of a fun character, if not a little bit joyless. (laughs) Like, like that's my only problem with him. He's a little, he's a little unfun. But that's kind of who he is. He's he's overly serious. Uh, that's his characterization. Uh, but I even I, I liked all the other side characters too, even though we're clearly never going to see them again. <laughs> Which is maybe the the problem also with this film. If they're going to be setting up a franchise, maybe we could have given him one or two of these people that was going to join him on this journey. And then yeah, I, I thought the scares were all kind of very predictable, you know. And it leaned a little too much into the jump scare stuff, which is always kind of cheap after the fifth, sixth, seventh time in the movie. But I, I guess maybe they couldn't figure out a way to make it more horrible. But I don't know. I think they could have. Like, like we never had, like, a real mutiny. We never had, like, any real contention with the elements. There were nothing else supernatural. Like, 
is is Dracula the only supernatural thing in this universe, or are there like mermaids and uh, like evil mermaids or a kraken or I don't know something else? Dracula's sort of maybe more difficult to play with on a limited space like a, a ship. Like maybe maybe at the core of this movie, Dracula isn't the right monster for something like this. And then also like Dracula's thing is also very much tied to to sex and especially to women and there's there's no women on the ship there's one woman comes in like two-thirds of the way into the movie and then dies like 20 minutes later i think it's fun i i would give it a popcorn it's sort of the same thing as the creator where it's i think the creator is better don't get me wrong but i think it's sort of a similar vein where this is like this is a movie that you're not going to be that disappointed to see if you go in and spend an afternoon watching it and it it's fun it's just fun yeah i agree i would say that the movie doesn't suck you know that's a that's a dracula joke for you i would say that it was fun and they had those fun elements but i think overall it was still a little unsatisfying so that's why i would give it a hot dog i think it might expand your cinematic diet slightly in terms of like you're saying with like this fun kind of boat kind of motif of a film could be a cool thing to revisit in the future for other films. But I think overall as a horror film and as even an adaption, I think it doesn't necessarily expand your cinematic diet there either. Cool. Well, let's move on. I think you have one more film you want to talk about, right? Oh, uh, yeah. So we have, I also saw this week, Under the Skin. It is the 2013 Scarlett Johansson horror film. She plays an alien that devours men while having sex with them basically and it's really art house and it's really unsettling and has a it's really silent too not enough horror films are just like silent and this movie has long stretches where she's just driving around in a van saying nothing but it's still so tense that it's that's really horrifying because you know what she's doing and you know she's like she'll like talk to a man and she'll be basically stalking them but then also she's like this small little woman even though she's an alien and can eat them i for her her process to work she has to like lure them into bed with her basically it's it's a really visually interesting very cool movie i would give it a peanut m&ms well maybe maybe not a peanut m&ms actually i would give it maybe like an oreo popcorn (laughs) because it's Back to the Oreo popcorn, it's not really quite, that's not really quite right right either. It is really innovative, I think, and really interesting. And nothing I've watched feels quite like that movie, but it is sort of unsatisfying as a movie. And it gets a little slow and boring at times, because literally the whole movie is just watching her every 15 minutes stalk a man and devour them. And then there are elements that just like never really get fully explained and that's hard to deal with as a film watcher like like not in a in a way that like you don't want every absolutely every detail explained to you you still want some mystery but there are like plot points that go completely unexplained mm-hmm. but it, it's still a very cool okay. movie and it, it even has like uh, elements of it that were shot really interestingly so for this movie 
they they did actual live filming where they would hide cameras and they would just have Scarlett Johansson dressed as this character walking around a busy street interacting with random people and they filmed it like sort of like a run and gun documentary at times which is really interesting to get their like genuine reaction to like like essentially a really beautiful woman hitting on normal men so you get these really like almost vulnerable genuine reactions that are very strange to see on film it just it's the whole movie is very unsettling um and then the moments where she kills the men are so beautifully shot and really really disturbing um she has this like black room thing that she kills them in in this really ritualistic way and then we see one of the men there's one moment where one of the men dies and we see exactly how how he dies and it's terrifying totally worth watching it'll definitely expand your cinematic diet i'll have to check it out then i haven't watched it but i'll, I'll take your word for it all right so i guess that wraps up our concession impression segment of the show let's uh take a quick break and when we come back, let's jump into the main course of this meal of an episode and jump into Rocky Horror Picture Show. And we're back. All right. So on this point, on this episode, we're going to do something similar to what we did for Christmas or the holidays of last year. And we talked about Christmas films and what makes a Christmas film a Christmas film and do certain films meet those requirements of being a Christmas film. Now, today we're going to do something similar, except we're going to do that with horror because, well, if you haven't checked your calendar or um, something, the time, then you probably wouldn't have known that it's you know almost halloween happy halloween everyone possibly depending on when you listen to this it might be you know march but for this episode we're talking about what makes a horror film well i have a list of what i feel like makes a horror film a horror film again i'm not a big fan of horror i i, I mean i very i like a very specific type of horror um something more along the lines of like uh the thing or like kind of more psychological thrillers that have like horror elements to it but i'm not a fan of like true horror films however what i i do recognize what a horror film is and i will say that these are kind of my list of what makes a horror film starting off i will say that a good horror film has a good use of both gore and fear and i feel like it's kind of a given but i feel like that's what what we're trying to define here like what makes a horror film so like for instance excessive gore can kind of like desensitize you but well-timed and creatively executed gore scenes can like really shock and terrify an audience and yeah but i think also like fear not necessarily gore but like the fear element of like anticipation and also not seeing gore like a lot of times the audience's imagination and letting them fill in the blank kind of really builds that fear element. So I feel like that is one element of this is like the gore and fear, seeing it and not seeing it and building it, which will lead me to my next point, which is pacing. I think a good film needs really good pacing. I think this is something we talked about before with comedies is that it really needs to have good 
timing and pacing to really hit those horror elements, you know? It needs to slow down and build tension before releasing and going into, like, this intense scare. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that what you're touching upon is suspense. And suspense, I agree with you, is such a key element to horror. Mm -hmm. Yes. And which is also, like, where I feel, like, kind of I go off and on is because, like, I feel like I like more suspenseful movies rather than horror, but I feel like suspense is such a big part of horror. And I think like they're very related uh, subjects there. And now this is maybe like a little minor thing, I guess like this is like a tertiary uh, or secondary kind of thing that makes horror. But I feel like horror has really distinct sound and music. For instance, like a lot of the biggest horror franchises, I feel like I would know the music from those films way more than like a Marvel film or anything right now. Right. Like I feel like those are so unique to horror itself, right? Like creepy sound effects, haunting music, you know, those, those elements I feel like also make a really good horror film. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it it's a very sound is such a key element to creating. I think that tense atmosphere uh, in a lot of horror films, there's even like, like if you look at an example, like A Quiet Place uses sound as its main element to create that suspense and to create the tension. You know, the lack of sound becomes a threat. And so, or, or really any sound becomes a threat in, in A Quiet Place, right? So that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think for me, I have a slightly broader definition of what makes a horror film. I think for me, it's it is developing suspense in service of something horrible, which I know is using the word horror in the definition, which is bad. But with that, let's define what something what makes something horrible. And I think there are kind of maybe three areas for me. It's either and I think these actually align really well with the kind of certain subcategories of horror film, like the biggest subcategories of horror films. You have fear. Fear is horrifying. You have disgust at something, you know, movies that are trying to make you disgusted at something. Um, and then you have shock. Like you can't believe that this happened. Rocky Horror Picture Show is an example of a disgust film, right? Like, like there's so many kind of subcategories of people in this film, like like transsexuals. This movie is about a bunch of of transsexual aliens, right? So that is you know quote unquote disgusting to a lot of of polite society, especially in the '80s when when this movie was released, right? And so that is some element of disgust and that makes that movie horrifying to people potentially. And then you have your kind of garden variety fear films, right? So that they're like a monster film and the monster is after a family and it's terrifying. Like A Quiet Place is a fear film, right? Um, Or Halloween. So the suspense that you're creating is in service of one of those horrible things instead of, you know, for the purpose of drama. 
or the, for the purpose of comedy, for instance. Comedy also relies heavily on suspense. But I would say that, and this is something that we did for the Christmas one too, is we had like this little tertiary kind of other thing in there. Like for instance, Christmas films should have some kind of motif of Christmas or, or Santa or the holidays or, you know, something like that, right? Christmas trees. I think like horror films normally have like specific themes too. And I think you kind of touched upon this as well. You know, like there's like the supernatural of like ghosts and demons and then there's like the monster horror, which is like zombies and werewolves and those kind of things. But then there's like technological horror as like AI or like robots or different things. And then there's like, dis- yeah, diseases, like a pandemic or disease kind of film. Uh, maybe like this is maybe slightly zombie related or something like that. But I feel like those are kind of like also a little bit, a little sub tertiary kind of element that a lot of horror films have yeah there's sub genres of horror i think that's that's hard it's hard to it's hard to talk about it's hard to make such a definitive list as we did with christmas movies just simply because i think christmas movies are more of a a subcategory of drama and or comedy not necessarily right because then we also had like what was it the Christmas action film that we watched or action film. Yeah. You know what? I think the best way to do this actually, because I feel like we're going to be kind of just be nitpicking a little bit possibly with this. I think I agree with you and I agree with myself. I mean, obviously I agree with myself because I, this is what I thought of, but I think the best way to put this into practice and to fine tune it is to just jump right in. Cause I think I've, I kind of understand everything you said and I kind of want to just put it to the test of what I said and what you said and we can maybe kind of define it a little better as we kind of look at Rocky Horror Picture Show. Because I, I think I have a very clear idea of, of what this is, what this movie is. So first of all, I just want to say, throwing it out there, before we talk about horror, uh, of if, if the Rocky Horror Picture Show is a horror film, even though it has it in the title. Of, but I just want to say that this is my first time watching the film. Uh, we watched it together, right? So in a theater with with actors acting it out, as the movie is playing on the back in the background, I will say that it was a fun experience, even though it probably maybe took up me out of the film a little bit, which I think maybe is the purpose for it. But I also kind of do want to rewatch it just by itself just to like maybe understand it a little more now. And another thing I want to say this, this is another thing just side of the horror, but the music in the film is also really, I actually really enjoyed the music. Uh, it was really, I think catchy and uh, kind of even felt myself kind of humming the songs a little bit several days after watching it. I will say is Rocky horror picture show a horror film? And I will say this, and I think you said something earlier that I think is very key to this, because this is kind of the thing that I thought of as well, is that I feel like it would be considered a horror film if you would take it out of in the context of when it was made. Exactly. Because I think that during that time that was made, it, it, you know, a lot of the topics it talks about, I feel like yes would be frightening for people during that time but i feel like nowadays 
those topics of like transgender and like homosexuality and like I don't know like all these kind of real world problem like not problems sorry real world views and stuff like that um was is not really a problem anymore i mean it is but like i feel like people are more open nowadays or at least some people are more open to it where i feel like during that time i've been like oh my gosh this is this movie's outrageous i can't believe like you know yada yada so for me watching it, it just felt like i never felt any horror to it Maybe because, you know, I, I grew up in L.A. and I feel like it feels normal to me almost. Like every all the topics they talked about just feel like, okay, like it's just normal life. Mm-hmm. I definitely think there are parts of the country where it would still be considered quite horrifying and in bad taste. But I agree with you. I think it in this day and age, the the topics of like, sexual freedom and uh queerness i i I think it i agree with you is this still a horror film is maybe a better question to ask so for you perhaps not perhaps it's just a queer musical i would say that one like i said i feel like horror does needs to have effective sound and music and i think this does have very effective sound and music but then the thing is when you go into like the gore and the fear I think at no moment in this film did I ever feel fear because it just felt ridiculous and like funny. Like it felt more of a comedy than a horror film. Because like you said before, right? Comedy and horror both ride that similar line. And it just kind of at the last moment, which turn does it make? Does it turn down the comedy path or does it turn down the, the, the horror path? I feel like at m- most of the time, it kind of does this like weird turn where it's trying to take a, a turn on down the horror path, but it just ends up more being taken as like a comedy thing. It's so ridiculous and over the top and bad that. Did you do? Would you feel like there was any like horror or tension of fear or anything in in this? Or like, how would you? What would you think? I think there is still an element of horror of like the shock horror that we were talking about earlier. I I think for a lot of people, this could be quite shocking to see Tim Curry dressed in lingerie singing show tunes, but like specifically rock show tunes about sex. Hmm. Like maybe this is just my Midwestern upbringing, but I think there is, there is still a, a shock to be had. I, I remember when I first saw it in high school, it was quite shocking to me. And in a good way, I really enjoyed it then. But I, I, I like shock value, I guess. And I think it's sort of a, um, a litmus test, almost, about where you are. Like you, could almost, you could almost say what part of the country or what part of the, the U.S. you live in by how you react to this movie. So wait, are you are we in agreement then? It sounded like in a way that you're saying that this is a horror film to you, or are you saying that you say that it's not a horror film, but depending on where you are, it could be seen as a horror film. I think it can be seen as a horror film. It's not really a horror film to me. To me, it's hilarious. Um, okay, I I will say that it does. It, so like for me, it it hits like half of the 
the my check marks right because it has like the horror themes and it has the music element but like for me it doesn't really have the and i guess it oh man i guess for my own my own ranking i guess it has kind of more or less three out of the five which is that does that warrant it is it is like is that passing is that a passing score or does it need four out of five to 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 hit it like I don't know. This is your metric, man. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> um, but so, what what are the three out of five? So it does have horror themes, right? Because right? it has like you know aliens and you know monsters, uh, like that Frankenstein's monster kind of element to yeah. it. It does have like the atmosphere in a way, right? Because it has it's like the scary dark mansion in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. um, all those things, right? It has effective music. Mm-hmm. I guess in a way, even though the music doesn't necessarily effective in a horror element, it's more just like, it's a fun inviting music. Uh, but I think those are the three that it does well. And then I think pacing and gore and fear doesn't really meet it for me. Like, I think it doesn't build the horror tension and it doesn't have that fear or gore that you would want to see, which are in my opinion are the two number one, and I think like the other three are more secondary things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me, like for my metric, which is like it, the it's developing suspense um, for the purposes of horror. It fails on number one because it doesn't ever develop any suspense at all, which is why this deve- this stage play that they put on in front of it has developed because the movie is just like not good. So they've developed this way of making it better by adding all of these audience participation jokes essentially because there's all this dead space to fill (laughs) um Mm -hmm. so it it doesn't work as a horror film for that reason for me because it never develops any sort of tension or suspense there's except for one moment there's one moment that is brilliant okay and it is the antissa Yeah. Yes. <laughs> moment, which I love. I think that that moment is truly suspenseful and great and brilliant. Uh, every time it gets me, I love it. Uh, and uh, I even love the shots, like where um, where Susan Sarandon's character she like leans in, and we get the cutaway to her leaning in. It's so good. <laughs> um. But it's not really done in in the service of horror, right? It's done more in the service of comedy. But still, perfect. Love it. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's, so I think in the end of the day, I would say that I I will. It's not. It's not a a horror film. I think, it, despite its title, it's probably not really a horror film. No. But what you might be wondering is, what dish does this film represent? If we were to break it down to its core flavors and then make a dish from it, what dish that be? So let's just jump right into that. Let's put on our chef hats. Let's hone our knives and let's get into the kitchen and make a dish. What do you think, Chase? How does that sound? Let's do it. Okay. All right. Chef's hats are on and we are prepared to cook a mighty meal for y'all today. So started off let me just go over our system once again so 
we're going to break down the elements, the emotions, the feelings of this film into flavors. So for instance, to go on to this, our, our metric here, um, we broke it down into the core flavors, including like a special pseudo one here. But we have disgust is sour, fear is bitter, sad is salty, happy is sweet, and surprise is spicy. Anger is umami, and so on and so forth. So let's break it down here. From what we talked about on this film, as we said, you know, it doesn't really have that suspension and that horror. So I will say off the bat, it doesn't necessarily have a lot of um, fear or disgust to me. Maybe disgust a little bit because of the themes and like maybe depending on where you are from is a could be more disgusting of a film. I don't think it really has much fear. So it's not really a bitter film. I would say it's a little sad. I think the ending is a little sad. Um, so it does have a little bit of a saltiness to it. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't know if you're going to say it, if you would agree to this, but I think it was a little happy. It was, I thought it was like fun, but I don't know if it's, that's the element of the film itself or just how we perceive it. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree with that. But happy. I will say that for sure it is a little spicy. There's surprise in it and you know, I think even for me, like just randomly a guy on a motorcycle bursting through a wall and then then gets chased down and hacked apart and then gets eaten later. Like, even though it's not like <laughs> fearful or sad at all, it is somewhat like what's going on now. It's definitely has those surprise factors in there. I, I agree. I think surprise spiciness is probably its main flavor, but but I think it's also a little bit. Angry. I was going to say, that was the last one I didn't touch upon. And I feel like there are anger elements. And I feel like it's like a subdued kind of hidden anger, right? I feel like a lot of the characters, especially like the two couple, two main couple, it feels like there's some anger underneath there that kind of comes out. Yeah. Or not, doesn't come out, but it's just like hidden away and like uh, it's loud allowed to fester and grow throughout the film um i i feel like there's a fairly palpable amount of anger um due to like specifically anger at what the two main couple brad and janet represent which is like normal polite society and i think i think there's a lot of anger Mm. at polite normal society for not being a place that um, accepts and cherishes the weirdos and the freaks of which the rest of this movie is occupied Mm. on and so like I think that I think anger is a very strong undercurrent in this film yeah but not as much as surprise I think surprise is the highest Maybe it's like 50% surprise, 30% anger, and then, what does that leave over? 20%? Salty. So 10% salty and 10% happy. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's still a little bit of disgust in there, so maybe, maybe it's 40% surprise, 30% anger, 
10% happy, 10% sad, 10% disgust. I think that's how I would break it down. Okay. I, I see it. I, 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 I would agree with you. I think it, it kind of rides that, um, that, like that breakdown. But now I'm trying to really think of like what dish kind of represents that flavor. And I feel like this is actually a, <clears throat> I feel like recently when we do a lot of these, these uh, dishes, I feel like we've more or less had a, a lot of like happier, sweeter films, like majority, like a, a strong, happy, sweet flavor. So I'm kind of, it's kind of fun that we, we have some other stronger flavors in this, but I feel like the first thing that comes to my mind, I don't know why this came to mind. It's such a random thing, but meatloaf. <laughs> why would that come? Who, who, you know? Yeah, yeah. Why would that? <laughs> but I feel like, you know, a, a meatloaf that has maybe some ingredients in it. Maybe it has like something chunky in it, you know, to add like, like to add that like element of as if it was like some it was ground up something else maybe it's like big chunks of mushroom or something like that like because a, a mushroom has mushroom has like a strong umami flavor okay that's not where i was thinking about oh okay anyway continue so you know mushroom has a strong umaminess so maybe it has like um large chunks of mushroom within this meatloaf right that could do it okay. and then i guess that's the, the spiciness you know that could just easily just be incorporated with the meat mixture you know mm-hmm. maybe some some cayenne pepper or chili flakes or jalapeno or you know depending on how spicy you want to do like habanero or something ghost pepper you know just grind it up you know make a little you know, mix it in with all the meat and let it all incorporate, depending on how 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 spicy you want to do it. But also, it could not necessarily have to be that like hot spicy. It could also be garlicky or and have just a lot of pepper, like black pepper or things like that. Those kind of flavors to kind of make it um, spiced. Yeah, I could see that. I, I like the meatloaf direction. Um, I think that could be really cool. Nice. I was thinking about hot dogs and partially because Mm. in our metric a hot dog is a is a sort of um unsatisfying film and i think this movie by itself is like the ultimate unsatisfying film it was so unsatisfying the audience had to entertain themselves (laughs) you know what i mean um Mm -hmm. which gotcha is funny and then frankenfurter Dr. Frankenfurter is named mm. after a uh, family-owned hot dog cart business that's, I think, very popular in New York, maybe, I think, um, called Frank and Furter. Okay. And so I was thinking also that could be a cool way to have an element of the movie inspire this. And then also I think Frankenfurter are like hot dogs are are pretty close to our um, flavor profile in a lot of ways, except for the spiciness, which I think could be accomplished with um, a lot of spicy sauce. And you could like build up different flavors on 
um, on the hot dog itself with sauce and other toppings. Not necessarily. I feel like th- I, I do like your idea. I think this is great. But I think like you can have I'm not going to say this wrong. There's like a, a hot dog sausage place in downtown L.A. I don't know if you've been here. Uh, it's called mm-hmm. like Wurst, Wurstkirsch, something like that. It's like a sausage place. You pretty much you, okay. you just buy it's They only have like one thing on the menu. It's just like sausage, like a hot dog. But it's like you can choose whatever hot dog sausage you want. And they have like very interesting different things. You know, they have like a sweeter one that's like has apples and herbs mixed in with it. Um, but then you also could have like a spicier one, you know, with like jalapenos or like, again, just like those mm. things are all like incorporated within the meat itself. Within the hot dog. Yeah, yeah like yeah. a sausage. That's right. Because you could make like a spicy sausage as your hot dog. Yeah. What if what if we combined some of these things? Have hot dogs inside the meatloaf? I was going to say make it like a meatloaf, a spicy meatloaf hot dog, like a spicy meatloaf sausage. Is that a, Could that be a thing? Or is it is meatloaf really just like the form factor? I feel like meatloaf is just a hot dog without the casing. Okay. Right? Cause, and then you have like ketchup barbecue sauce on top of it. Could, could, but then again, you have ketchup and barbecue sauce possibly depending on, I don't know if you put barbecue sauce on a hot dog, but ketchup definitely is something you would put on a hot dog, but you would, it's kind of the sauce you would put on a, a meatloaf would be like a combination of like ketchup, barbecue sauce, mustard mm. kind of thing, right? So what about in honor of the stupidity of this movie? We made just a meatloaf, but like a thin, like a, a log of meatloaf, like a hot dog shaped log of meatloaf, and we just stuck it in a bun <laughs> and called is it, it like a day. A, is it meatloaf sized? Like it's a huge. No, no, no. It's hot dog sized, but it's a meatloaf, but it's hot dog sized, <laughs> like a little log of, of. Oh, so it's like a, a mini log of meatloaf, yeah. but if you put it on a bun, I, actually, that sounds really interesting. I like that idea. But you, you a lot, serve actually. it so unceremoniously, and like, like that's what makes it in style of this film is it's just served so poorly. Um, okay, yeah, I, I like it. I mean, I, I definitely like if it's the bread is like the cheapest bread possible. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's like a bite missing out of the bread too. <laughs> sure, but I feel like you know, it, I feel like in the end of the day. This movie does, at its very core, have some fun to it, which makes it why, which is why it's such a huge popular film, right? Like it's still popular. It has like that. It's a cult classic, right? Even though it's not a necessarily a good mm-hmm. film, but it's just it's a fun one, right? It's the longest running film in history. You mean like pl- like not runtime? Yeah, yeah. Okay. In theaters. Yeah. So I think like I will also say that a meatloaf on a as like a hot dog on a bun already is just probably my imagination of this. It just sounds like it looks terrible. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so I, I like to make cocktails a lot, right? Like um, alcohol cocktails and whatnot, right? And I think a, a lot of drinks nowadays they they like to incorporate edible glitter into their cocktail so what if we add like on top of the sauce we add like an edible glitter on top of it or maybe it's like 
Ah, oh, but that's gonna be sweet though. Well, not necessarily. We can like add glitter to like a mustard, for instance, like a spicy, like a okay. spicy mustard, and then add glitter to it. Glittery and sauces. And it could just be a glittery, <laughs> glitter, a yellow glittery mustard <laughs> sauce that's on top of this meatloaf. <laughs> I love it. Oh god, I love it. Okay, yes, glittery sauces. We have to have multiple sauces, like a like. Uh, like mustard would be one glittery mustard uh, glittery ketchup and then we need like a or or, you know what like the uh, relish relishes Mm -hmm. are already kind of the only thing is that relish and ketchup extra color I will say would maybe add a sweetness to this that we maybe don't necessarily want Mm. so I would say that these would have to be maybe like a spicy ketchup like a ketchup that adds has some like hot sauce incorporated within it or something like that to like kind of cut down that sweetness and then the relish again also is really sweet but there is like a real little tiny tinge of sweetness to this dish uh, or to this movie so you know maybe the relish could be it but i feel like both ketchup and relish might be a little too sweet but you know we could have like a spicy ketchup a mustard and then a relish all glittery and on this meatloaf of a of a of a, a log a meatloaf log that's sandwiched behind this little disgusting hot dog bun i like it cool cool well yeah so there we go i guess i don't even know how to describe this right, we have a meatloaf that's sandwiched between a hot dog bun that is Decorated with glittery sauces. Covered in You have some spice, you have salty, you have some umami, and you'll have a little bit of, a little tinge of sweetness and other flavors. But overall, you have this kind of disgusting, kind of weird dish that might still taste really good, but it definitely doesn't look good. Yeah. But you have to give it a try. And that's the dish that best represents the film Rocky Horror Picture Show. Dr. Frankenfurter's meatloaf. Sounds horrifying for sure. All right. Well, I think that about wraps up this episode of Filmmaker's Cookbook. So if you enjoyed, uh, you know, give us a follow. Listen to us wherever you're listening to this. And, you know, give us a review. Also, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Can I even say Twitter anymore? Just is, it, is it called X? I don't, I don't know. I don't like to call it anything. <laughs> Still follow us there. <laughs> but I think definitely if you want to join us and, you know, converse with us and talk with us, we are active on Instagram. We, we've talked with a lot of you already, and we communicate through, you know, stories and whatnot. It's great to hear your all feedback and everything, and your thoughts on movies and everything. So keep it coming. Uh, We'll look forward to talking to you more soon. And we hope you enjoy this episode of Filmmaker's Cookbook. We'll see you on the next one. And that is a wrap on this episode. Bye, everyone.